This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wood, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal Cast and YouTube. All right, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. It's a big one. This is our one year anniversary. Uh, before we get started, I do want to say thanks to everyone that's listened with us, mm-hmm. watched what's happened, seen us grow, etc., etc. Uh, feel free to follow us on Patreon, Twitter, etc. We do have some giveaways that we're going to be doing, and today's topic is actually in the theme of rewarding the community that tries to love us, oh, yeah. uh, answering questions that were posed to us on Twitter when we asked, in our Discord, and a bunch of other places. And I will be completely honest, I've been too busy with wedding planning to know what any of these questions are. So I'm going to be completely blindsided oh, that's fine. and possibly fly off the cuff when some of them involve Wizards of the Coast, who continually makes poor decisions. Anyways, let's take it away. All right. Uh, so we'll start with the most basic. How did you get into magic? Oh, boy. Uh, so in 1995, uh, I was an awkward 10-year-old, recently diagnosed with mental illness, which is why... I run the charity events I do, mm-hmm. uh, and had no way to really like connect with other people. So I found this really nerdy card game, Magic, at a comic book shop that I frequented, and was taught how to play by some people there. And uh, that's that started, and it's been going ever since. Nice. Um, I started a little later. I think Prophecy was the first pack set of packs i bought either that or nemesis so we're talking like same calendar year um bad sets to start on and i found out about the game because uh, the town i moved to in third grade one of the students uh his father was asked to return back to japan to continue working but when they came back some of his friends had been playing magic in japan and for whatever reason, there was a disconnect at that point in time in set releases by either a couple of weeks or a couple of months, specifically uh, for that set. So he was tasked with buying, quote, a couple of packs of the newest set. So I bought one, too. Yeah. And uh, from there, a lot of our other friends were uh, the second or the third of three whose older siblings played. So when they saw like a few of the packs come back, they said, oh, here are our cards from uh, Revised Through Ice Age, because everybody quit in Ice Age. That's yeah. how the story goes. So we inherited those collections, uh, me and a couple of my friends from uh, their older siblings. And then some of our friends just gave us more of their craft, of their craft from that era and time. And we just started playing like kitchen table uh, at houses or at lunch. And then one of our friend's parents called a comic book store a couple towns over and found out they held FNM. They didn't sell singles. They just had packs hmm. and held FNM. Okay. And that was that. So somewhere around 8th uh, grade, so maybe like 14, 15, I started, I got into Magic and it was a, a pretty quick succession of events. It was maybe from the summer prior to that grade to the winter before I started playing FNM. So, this next one is, this next question is a little interesting. What's changed from when you started, but talking specifically about things like buyouts? They exist. Which was not something you and I dealt with back then. We had, 
we had Scry and Inquest magazines, and nobody had enough uh, interest to want to buy out the market. Uh, one of the interesting things that did happen in our timeline, but no longer happens, is uh, uh, extreme box mapping. Oh yeah. So for in yeah, God books don't exist anymore. It's and not even. Then they did. Oh yeah, uh, the last one uh, was right around Rav or Time Spiral. It was yeah, like it was the last God book to leak, but um, yeah. Odyssey was mapped 100% of the way through. So on a fresh box, you could buy the top left pack, and you would know exactly where in the collation you were. So savvy yep. people would actually go through and buy all the packs that had like Call of the Herd and um, I think Urza's Rage, thus yep. screwing yep, thus screwing over everybody who wanted to draft that set in preparation for events. So yep. uh, aside from the fact that buyouts now happen, the extreme box mapping is something that's brand new. But the idea of the backpacker or the independent vendor has always kind of been there because everybody, despite the fact that the internet wasn't that prevalent or nearly as accessible as it was now, had a price guide on hand, yeah. in Quest or Scry. Uh, also something that changed a little bit i guess is uh it used to be you know when you wanted to place orders if your store didn't have singles mm -hmm. uh there were a few stores and scry and inquest i remember the gathering ground being one of them oh, yeah. power nine being one of the others you could call and oh. they had like a hot list of cards for sale and i still have it somewhere uh there's one that has the gathering ground selling a tavern a the tabernacle of pendrel vale for thirty dollars oh yeah Looking back at those prices wow. are ridiculous. I I have this burned into my memory of when I bought my first set of like D and D dice. I spent five dollars less on that than a Lotus. Like, yeah, I mean, I remember Lotuses were a hundred bucks, and that was too much money for a piece of cardboard. Oh, yeah, this was even before that. Like, I had bought those dice before, like somewhere in yeah. fourth or fifth grade. So you know, at that point, we were moving through like Tempest block, and power hadn't really bloomed at all yet. Yeah. Keep. In more detail, if paper magic will survive in the long-term future, say 10 years, where do you think we'll be? Do you think it will be uh, split like we are now? Do you think we'll go back to all paper? Or do you just think it'll be a kitchen table game? Do I have to take the stance that it survives? Um, <laughs> only because the qu this question asked... Okay, this this question asks, assuming it does, Yeah, I think, especially after the announcements today, uh, Paper Magic will be gone okay. at that point. You even, even at the kitchen table level, you think? I, I think? I think kitchen table is where it will exist, actually. So it'll be gone from competitive... It'll be gone from the GPs. Uh, I don't think vending is going to be as much of a thing. I think TCG players still exist, obviously. But I think they go the way of, like, Hearthstone, basically. There's mm -hmm. no reason not to. It's so much cheaper. Uh, I mean, obviously, you have to be able to get your format to support a 64-person lane without crashing. Sure. But... Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's any way that it survives outside of kitchen table. That's the only way it does. Right. I think that's fair. I uh, I have similar feelings, but different. I To me, I think Paper Magic survives, but it's only going to survive by the graces of Eternal formats. I agree fair. that... 
I, I just don't think... It's weird because you can't have eternal formats and not have standard because you need to get new cards printed in the digital format into paper to keep those formats alive. Yeah. But the game is still bound to the, the social aspect. So it might... I can't imagine a world where it's just going to be a bunch of Masters products released all the time to get standard cards out there. But I do believe that anything surrounding standard will be primarily on Arena. And basically box buying will be left to people who want to gamble or need cards for older formats that don't want to pay secondary market prices. Yep. At that point, you can just go into the tin model like Konami does and just reprint everything into the ground for standard because nobody cares about those cards anyway. Every now and then you have that card that spikes to somewhere close to 100 you know, every two to three years, like Clockwork. And that is yeah. your pressure point in terms of price, but I, I don't think standard survives too much, too much longer. In the next, in the next three to five years, we'll see a change. Looking further out, forecasting ten, unless Arena accepts all, f- uh, all formats, and there's a way to move your collection from Moto to Arena and paper to Arena, then I still think there's going to be some paper played at a competitive level. Yeah, but I don't think it'll be nearly as. Uh, much as it is now. That's fair. Alright. So, this one's a a listicle. (laughs) Your top five picks, not just for money in terms of growth, but longevity in terms of stable price. And I can go first on this one because I filled this one out. I took the time to do it. So, uh, in terms of longevity and just holding a stable price... Uh, I kind of have uh, three silos for this. I think power, duels, and iconic old school cards in uh, like Jazam Jim and, Li- and uh, Library of Alexandria. Cards that were the face of marketing material, basically, when I think of those iconic cards, not just Lotus, etc. And I don't think when it comes to power and duels, you're going to see uh, alpha, beta really... They'll hold price, but they won't grow as much as Unlimited and revised versions of those cards will over time. Obviously, with things like Jazam and Library, you only have one printing. So be it in that regard. So I'll say those are are three of my five. Then uh, the other two I have that I think are going to go up over time is going to be Wrath of God. Uh, Any kind, any art for Wrath, because it's a premium removal spell and it's also iconic, and Birds of Paradise. Those cards are legal in every other format that isn't uh, standard brawl yeah. or some mutation off of standard, and they're always sought after and played in any one of those formats. Combined with the uh, iconic nature of those cards, but up to a lesser power level and notoriety than the, the three silos I mentioned, I think those two yeah. in particular are going to be decent vehicles for money in the long term. I picked up an Unlimited Wrath last year, and within a few months, it almost doubled in price because Wrath as a whole just kind of climbed unbeknownst to a lot of people. It just disappears. It's a 4-CMC mass removal spell in Commander and a fairly underpowered uh, color, which basically demands all premium removal. And that card is just going to slowly disappear over time, and we won't see it outside of Master sets. Yeah. All right, what you got? I saw you scribbling. Yeah, so I left reserve list off of this uh, okay. because you you went for it with three pillars, and I think it's you know the obvious one of us had to choose it. Yeah, you went first, which is nice. Yeah. So uh, got got that one out. So I went for starfoils. 
which, okay. as we all know, is kind of my thing. Yep. Uh, just old set foils from when they had the star in the bottom corner, I mm-hmm. think, is really solid. It's hard to counterfeit. 7th edition foils already through the moon. Yep. Um, so I think those are good. Second is shocks, because even if modern goes the wayside, Pioneer, I guess, is going to be jammed down our throats until we can't take it anymore and is like guaranteed to succeed because mm-hmm. of the effort that Wizards is putting into it. So shocks will be worth money. Yep. Uh, the next two are trade binder all stars. So it's the type of thing that like you can put it in a trade binder and it will always get you one to five dollars. And no matter how many times it gets printed, especially with a second one, it'll always be worth that. And that's Lightning Bolt and Soul Ring. Okay. Uh, those two always trade out. Everyone always needs multiples. Mm-hmm. It's something you can pick up and sink value into, and it's fine. They're much more stable than Shocklands are because, as we saw when RTRTR came out, they tanked to like sub $10 for all of them. Yes. Uh, and the fifth one is Mountain Goat because eventually I will own them all. <laughs> You'll own them all. It's like that guy forever ago on uh, Modal who was trying to collect every stone rain. Not every art, every single stone Every rain. stone rain, yeah. Yeah. I don't know where he went, but he was out there. Stone Ring guy's still there somewhere kicking yeah. around, I'm sure. I, I like cards like uh, Soul Ring in particular. It's not and not to say that Lightning Bolt isn't a, a good call because the Lightning Bolt was a handful of cards that would trade out at the same rate in, alongside like Dark Rit and Brainstorm. You could yeah. always count on those cards to trade for somewhere between a quarter and a dollar or a resell for that much. Uh, but Soul Ring is a little more special now because of EDH. And yep. everybody generally speaking that plays edh wants a soul ring so they're just super yeah. liquid and like you said they're printed they dip for a second and then they just back up here and back up so it's a good call especially with the uh, commander masters announcement it's a good kind of microcosm to think about like you need some all-star mythics in that set to push it and any good mythics in that set are just going to stumble in the short term and then rebound immediately yeah Okay, uh, this one is uh, a little more interesting. Um, so the question is, what card do you always try and get out of a binder for no other reason than to own? And I'm going to caveat this: you can't say Mountain Goat. So I'll get. Uh, I'll, you want a second to think about it? Yeah. Okay. So uh, for me, and this has become harder and harder because not a lot of people have them. It is Crimson Hellkite from mirage right from mirage or sixth edition yeah. for no other reason uh than that jerry grace art just speaks to me on a level i can't describe i yeah. have i don't know how many of them tucked away in an infinite spec box i expect them to go nowhere but that box but i love that art and yeah. uh the original lord of atlantis by melissa benson yeah like, Shivan Dragon Art is cool, and that's iconic. I'm just more of a fan of the Lord of Atlantis. That's fair. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually going to go Starfoil on this one. Okay. Uh, specifically Forbid. The FNM promo Forbid. I will get every single one I can. Okay. I love that card. It's so gorgeous. And I, it was one of, you know... That uses the Exodus art, correct? Yes, it right. uses the Exodus art. Um, it was great in the Ophidian list back in the day. Uh, that and Ice Age Necro are the two for me, because Cocoa Pebbles was my first like 
PTQ grind deck. Yeah. And I just the necro art with that hand is just so iconic to me. So yeah. those those are the two that I'll always be like, yeah, we're gonna even this trade up. I'll you know take it. Yep. No, uh, it, it's interesting. I feel like everybody has one of those secret squirrel cards where they just they see it and they gotta have it regardless. Yeah. Uh, right. So we're gonna jump around a little bit. Specific predictions for six months, a year, and two years. And this is fairly open-ended, so it's not just about the state of the game in terms of organized play, but it could be prices as well. All right, so six months. Uh, Tom Brady announces his retirement, if Ooh. I'm lucky. Uh, <laughs> six months, we're going to have the spring set released. Uh, we will find out one way or another if the Pioneer experiment is being abandoned. Mm -hmm. One year, we're done with competitive support for Legacy. Okay. We're not doing it anymore. It's dead. Put a fork in it. Two years? We've bought a third company to get involved with our digital marketing. Or digital media. So, like, yeah. they bought Tug or whatever today before they partnered with A Perfect World for a Magic MMO that they announced that's never coming out. Yep. And in two years, we'll have a third to fifth somewhere in their company making some product that's never going to see the light of day. From what I've heard, Tug is uh, meant for D&D. It's not going to be a Magic property. But yeah. that might not be... The, I mean, you look at the way Blizzard does things and people are always on unnamed Blizzard project and then get pulled around to other things. So who knows? Yeah. They start one place and then move to another. So, uh, for me, in the next six months, uh, any major team events we're going to see, Standard will not be a format. It will be replaced by Pioneer. So you think Pioneer... Modern. Legacy Modern? Yes. Really? Yes. Okay. See, I, I think it's drop Legacy, add Pioneer, and then you get three Pro Tour... Uh, or I, formats. I, fair. Yeah. Yeah. I. I don't want to spoil anything, but there's more coming that speaks to a little bit what okay. I think is going to happen fair. with Legacy as a whole, besides this team thing. So yeah. I believe uh, within a year we will see that Modern will continue to live on as it does. You know, the F and M's that were Modern will stay Modern. We will still have a number of Modern Magic Fests, and it might just not receive the same amount of attention that it does at the Star City Open style level. Yeah. I do, I believe, and this, I jumbled this up, Legacy is retired as a GP format. I think that's already happened. I think that's a zero day. Or sorry, Magic Fest format. I believe that was a zero day announcement. And then this last one, I think it's six months. I don't think it's a year. It might be a year, but we'll see Star City having more Legacy mains in a calendar year. And I'm not talking like, ha uh, you know, we're going to, half standard and give that to legacy maybe one to three more legacy opens we will see yeah but that might also include team opens because right now nobody's scheduled anything for teams yeah that's true. so that could be where legacy crops up it might not be pure legacy opens it might just be the legacy seat at a team event yeah. so that is my kind of jumbled timeline that's fair yeah and i i think that you know it's similar to before when Wizards basically said, you know, forget Legacy, we're done here. Mm -hmm. And Star City kind of picked up that slack. Yep. So hopefully 
that's what we see. And that's exactly what I think happens. Star City's been refining yeah. the area that they go to for long enough now that they know who comes out for what, and when you put Legacy on the East Coast in the, in the Baltimore area, you bring it up to the Northeast in Worcester, you can take it out to Indy, you can get people to come out yeah. and put it in the Midwest, somewhere in between Indy and Dallas, you'll get people to drive to that midpoint or fly in, maybe yeah. you know, Denver in that area. You'll see people come out for those events, and I think they'll pick up like they'll pick up what Watsy dropped in Legacy. Yeah. Right. So this was a better question before today, because this is basically next week's pod. What actions and how they change your business model moving forward? Sorry, Watsy's actions and how they've changed your business model, or how you're going to move forward. So, uh, Watsy's head is so far up its ass, it's oh. digesting two meals ahead of time at this point. Oh, uh, yeah. It is ridiculous <laughs> what's going on the, over there. The, 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 this, like, commander announcement today, here's, like, five more products that we can jam up to someone and just try to get everybody to buy this. And, like, the financial landscape is changing. We talked about it a little before we started recording that there's a lot of people who are typically pretty optimistic that like at the gp level phoenix only had 558 people for a modern event which is their flagship format everybody loves modern it's the most popular thing in the world and nobody's playing it. pioneer is who knows what's going on with that and standard is terrible so all said how this has changed my business model is not very much you uh -huh. and i are also in uh different areas in business than a lot of other people because we don't own our own shop and we're not backpackers we have the luxury of owning our own stock and churning it as needed either through yeah. the companies we work for or directly through our contacts yeah and that that does make things a little bit better i will say from the like lgs perspective mm -hmm. at least the stores around here a lot of them have just started to have to shift away from like a large stockpile of standard and modern Yep. to like a generally good supply of it but they need to have a ton of like parallel lives because yes. their casual players are their bread and butter mm -hmm. and i think that the more wizards or hasbro or whoever tries to emphasize these like constant you know here's another product here's another product here's another product it just gets more and more oriented towards the casual player because the casual player doesn't experience wallet fatigue the same way that yeah. a lot of other people do because they only buy the things they want and the rest doesn't matter the other thing that a lot of people don't figure in is the invisible cost of playing fnms and events a casual yeah. edh player is generally speaking not paying for either of those yeah i they're, they're paying for snacks if they go to their lgs because they want to you know mm -hmm hang out and be there and support the people that are around them, giving them a place to play, which like, good. Yeah, absolutely. You should. I, I approve and appreciate that. Uh, but you know, you have to keep in mind that like, if you play F and M every week, that's five to $10 a week. Mm -hmm. That's 20 to $40 more for casual product. Yes. And that does add up. So from yeah. the dollars and cents perspective, all of these seemingly terrible ideas, which are terrible, uh, make sense for wizards to make. And yes, I contradicted myself there. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, 
for me, again, it, it's not much because, like I said, you and I are in a different position than a lot of other people. We're not individual companies. We work for other companies, and we have the ability to churn our own stock as, as we see fit. Yeah. Over the last couple of weeks, the only thing this has really done for me that's changed my model is I've now had to comb through all of my one rows from RTR forward to pull out my pioneer specs and set everything aside and then wild go slash for three dollars to be fair it traded for more when it was in standard it That's was like true. a six dollar common or yeah. uncommon whatever it was and then pull out like go through all the bulk commons and stuff i had lying around for anything that was useful and then set yeah. it aside i don't think this is going to change anything for me in the calendar year 2020 in regards to any of the companies that i generally work for what it might mean is that when we go out to events, we prepare for it more as a Magic Fest and less a Grand Prix, meaning that we will be there more to support the casual player who's coming in to play EDH sides. Yeah, we uh, actually we were discussing stock for Columbus, and since it will be the first GP with Pioneer sides, we shifted stock yeah. so that we can bring that stuff. So I, I think that that changes thing. That that's basically the the change for me. I do have feelers out locally because I know there are a couple players who have just kind of aged out of the game. You know, they're 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 married. They're looking to carry on with their lives. That are getting out of their legacy and modern stuff. It just happens to be the quote unquote right time. And I also know there are going to be players that are going to look into pine for pioneer staples once that format actually takes off locally. We have one store that just does standard and sealed. That might become pioneer and uh, sealed. And then we have another store that mainly does uh, modern and sealed. And they might look to do uh, a test bed of Pioneer. So I might be able to move some of my stuff locally. But that that model is the same as anybody else who's been playing the game for the last six, seven years. At least, least, yeah. Yeah, and didn't move any of the bulk. I'll tell you, though. Sitting on 44 Deathrite Shamans for as long as I did. Smart. Good choice, yeah. Head tap meme. I yeah. don't know when I'm going to get out of my digs, though. I'm waiting for that to go up. Oh, digs? Yeah, I mean, I grabbed a few foils. I'd stockpiled those for a while because, uh, you know, Frontier Pioneer 1.0. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. That, that card... I think that might have been the other thing that changes. I now have to manage risk a little more knowing that Dig Through Time is now off the ban list. It flash popped on CK for like two days and I didn't have the time to like count my stock and actually yep. sell any. And then it dropped back down to $1.50. And now I'm just playing the waiting game of do I want to be greedy and wait for it to go back up after it isn't banned or get hoisted again and be sitting on a bunch of digs. But I did take the out on abrupt decay and death right shamans, so I'm I'm, yeah. I'm good there. It's just whether or not I want to make I want to make money or more money. I, I think the greed monster is going to get the better of me for the next couple of weeks. For the while we look at this, alright. What have you learned since starting the pod? Oh man, content creation is hard and deserves to be rewarded. There are plenty of weeks, and I know there's plenty of people that you can follow them on Twitter. Any content creator will tell you, like, there's weeks where you just don't want to do it. You're over it. You've had enough, but you don't. You suck it up. You go through with it, and you make the content. And I think that not just in Magic, but in general, there's a lot of people out there that get a bad rap 
that really are just like working as hard as they can yeah to try to produce content for like 15 people or whatever the case may be because they love doing it and yeah sometimes it sucks but they love doing it and they don't want to not so yeah uh i learned that i still enjoy video production but i hate the amount of time it takes to render a file yeah i might i'm basically (laughs) rendering the audio takes about four minutes to render down a 40 minute to an hour long podcast four minutes that's really easy and because we strive like one of the the tenants behind the scenes was just like no edits it's just all uh stream of consciousness uh that makes the job even easier i don't have to sit sit down and listen to it again that's fair yeah but it is the fact that i have to lock my computer down for about an hour 20 while i render each video that, that kills me on the inside uh yeah. aside from that i also learned that i still hate uh marketing for content creation though i do not mind being a loud mouth mouse mouthpiece on twitter oh yeah I just old man for yells sure. at a, yeah old man yells at cloud i love it yep. that part of the marketing i'm in for or just like interacting with people that feel the same way like when we were uh when I was talking to the spike feeders, I think over the summer, and they were like, what did you learn in your content creation that just blew your mind? And we yeah. talked about audio tracks. We like geeked for a couple of hours about that. Yeah. Like, Those guys are great. Whoo! Yeah, that yeah. that stuff's a blast. And I, without this, I never would have learned about that. So yeah, that's a, a shining star there. Uh, these next two questions are uh, kind of go hand in hand. Jokingly, the somebody asked how long we've been together and i think the answer for that is two years and how we met and we met in another discord for uh magic finance but the question it ties into is the foundation of uh the cabal so it all just kind of spins together off of uh the mtg finance subreddit Good old golden capitalist yeah. calling him out. <laughs> so, oh man, I don't even remember. It was like November a couple of years ago. Maybe it's three years. We've technically known each other over the internet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there was discussion about starting the Discord, and a bunch of us jumped in as zero-day adopters to that Discord. And it was effectively just us. It was just kind of a ghost land started yeah. by uh, HP94, uh, I believe one of the progenitors of the MPG Finance subreddit. Yeah. And we just kind of floated along in there one day. And then uh, there was a handful of buffoonery and uh, uh, the gentleman uh, who did the grading, the coin grading podcast with us last yeah. December, Larry actually started uh, another discord for the bunch of us who were just talking and enjoyed actually uh, yeah dealing with finance because yeah. uh, the the it wasn't like finance and advanced finance it was just like we were the people that were actionable because we had the liquid capital everybody else was just kind of like there to to be there and without us it was just kind of dead so after yeah. the buffoonery we were just like all right you you run things the way you want to run it and we'll run our thing the way we want to run it yeah and and that was kind of it we started uh, the other discord and our first 
real like come together as a group for the cabal was the uh aether revolt uh release star city open where we just bought aether sphere harvesters yeah um rich cars walking ballistas below 10 and the um the dark confidant yeah like uh, glint sleeve yeah glint sleeve siphoner and we basically competed against a number of other people and and starting in the u.s and moving over to japan just wiped the internet out that night and the next morning and yep. after that we like a bunch of us were sitting on these we talked about outs we talked about seriously just all right well what if instead of doing this all individually we just did this through one centralized location and that yep. kind of spun it off and that's at that point was when we like started you know more or less like pulling our funds did like a pseudo ipo and now we do like group buys we have a guy that runs our inventory on cardsphere which is still a great platform yes uh, you can find us at MTG Underground on there. And uh, that's, you know, two two years, year after. Uh, we're up like 20% over our initial investment. So yeah. DC year over year. You yeah. just got to keep with the model. Oh, yeah. And, and it works out. It's just become like people being people. And yeah. Like in that side, like we yell at each other. I get yelled at a lot. It, yeah. It's a good time in there. It is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this last one is, uh, it's a thinker. So, how many okay. years does one need to be working in quote-unquote magic before you really get a good idea of how to pick cards and the market? I, this is so variable. Oh, absolutely. Some people pick it up right away. Some people will be in this industry for 20 years and never understand it. Mm -hmm. I... It helps if you've got a mind for, I mean, man, I'm terrible at math, but I'm decent at this, I guess. <laughs> so it's not even numbers. No. I, uh, there's there's no concrete answer, really. It's a really good question because, like you said, you can attack this from a number of ways. If, like, if you're the kind of person that enjoys the theory behind day trading, there are a ton of margins that you can make just swinging cards on the day-to-day -day and moving them between platforms. Not yeah. a lot of people allow you to drop ship. I know there are a handful of large vendors that do, but moving them from one vendor to another, uh, either through BioList or because they offer a seller's platform, yeah, definitely can net you margins or moving from a vendor straight to Facebook and then just essentially drop shipping from there is something yeah. you can do. But I think the one thing that stands to reason is that no matter how you're doing this, it requires a lot of attention and a lot of babysitting your specs and understanding why they're worthwhile and i think that's the difference between yeah. somebody who's going to be in it for 20 years and not get it and somebody who's going to be in it for 20 years and still make money why oh why yeah i don't make the greatest standard picks and i think that's one of the things i've learned along the way same um, standard is very hard for me to predict because my mind just doesn't work that way i i'm better off with older formats where there are more established archetypes and i can look at a list of 300 things discount half of them because they're bullshit commons and then look at a, a distilled list and say all right this is probably going to show up here and i want to move yeah. in my like the expansion explosion niv mizzet calls were pretty good 
those were. And then I've just kind of, everything else has been kind of lucking into the, there are no bad specs. There's just long holds, in yeah. essence. And that's what my Deathrite Shamans became, Abrupt Decays, and the Dig Through Times. So I could have gotten out earlier and made money, but I wanted to sit on them because I thought that they would accrue more value over time. And then Deathrite got hoisted almost immediately after I had a bunch, so I just started buying them from modern yeah. players here for nothing and sat on them. And then they got banned again. Then they freed them. I, yeah, and I, I think you touched on something good there with saying there's no bad specs. They just become long-term holds because generally, you know, this game is so cyclical Yep. and finance that eventually it'll hit. And I think that's part of, you know, what you're seeing with, like, Deathrite. The card was bulk. Yep. Nobody wanted it nope. after the Legacy ban. And then all of a sudden, even if it's not that good, FOMO happened, and it was worth a ton of money. So it's just, like, absolutely incredible yeah. to see that happen. And it does, you know, go to prove that, like, there are no bad specs. Hold it. Don't panic. And eventually you'll be able to make a margin on it. Absolutely. And, and under picking your market and understanding it is probably the greatest thing you can do. And that doesn't yes. take a lot of time. That just takes, in, in terms of, I need to spend six months to a year to really understand my market and begin moving. No. If you, you can get started much earlier than that, as long as you are spending the time every day to keep up with things and... Uh, and read up on what's going on. Use the data in front of you and be open to the fact that things like commander versus will swing commander cards. That um, I keep calling it game night. Uh, the the command zone stuff. Yeah. Will swing cards. You know. Yeah. And pay attention to that kind of stuff. That once you basically have distilled down the information you need, you can then start functioning like somebody who's been in this for years. Yeah. And. And then it, from there, it's just variable. Yeah. But uh, that was the last question we had, I believe. Yeah, really. That's a good one. I actually like that one the most. Yeah, that's why I put it for last. Like I said, it was a thinker. I didn't read it. I mean, I read it ahead of time, but I didn't give it any thought because I wanted yeah. to, to off the cuff it. But I like it. We get, we get some decent questions from our, our patrons and our Twitter followers. Yeah, for sure. But uh so this will be it for the, the cast before we head into picks for this week. Uh, next week, we need to figure out exactly what we want to talk about still because be, because of the delay that we've had, there's been a lot to go on, uh, going on. So we need to figure out exactly where we want to operate. There have been a, a ton of Pioneer uh, deck lists that have come out. There's uh, somebody on the Pioneer MTG subreddit has compiled a list as of yesterday or the day before of every 5.0 list and every card contained within those lists and basically yeah. has made the data available for people to slice and dice so you can see what's going on and trending. And it gives a, a pretty nice view of the format from a card utilization standpoint, not a deck archetype standpoint. Yep. So uh, the data is starting to come out. We just need to figure out you know where we want to be over the next couple of weeks. Uh, but It'll be great. I'll be super hungover post-bachelor party, oh, yeah. so tune, tune in. So uh, for picks for this week... Uh, I went with Hazaret the Fervent. There were a number of Frontier decks that were just uh, mono-red aggressive that kind of capped out at Hazaret, and that deck was one of the pillars of the Frontier format and the Frontier format leagues that are still running on uh, Cockatrice. Yep. 
and I figured from the list that I was seeing where Hazret was currently being utilized in the top end of Boros aggressive decks and mono red non-prowess decks that this mm -hmm. card was going to see play despite the fact that it was in a challenger deck further reducing its or suppressing its price to under four dollars this is the card that should pick up and we're not going to see it be the 20 sum it was uh, prior but we should see this eke towards eight pretty pretty quickly at once yeah. the format really like settles in and i think this is a card you can capitalize on in that time period People basically just started taking the decks they knew that weren't mono-red aggressive or mono-red prowess and started jamming them. So you were seeing a lot of Jeskai lists, uh, combo and not over the past couple of yep. weeks, and you're seeing a lot of black-green, hardened scales, or control. Yeah. And there's definitely some some decks out there that are just pure experimentation. And Hazret is on this list I mentioned. Uh, there are two decks that ran it that 5-0'd. So they, yeah. there is traction here. It does have, albeit a small pedigree. And this is a card that I do believe in over the next, let's say, six months to a year. It's uh, There's no reason why this card ever needs a reprint outside of a master set, if, unless they want to do some weird god cycles somewhere. And is going to be a premier top end for uh, any red aggressive deck that either wants to use vehicles or doesn't want to rely on the prowess yeah. mechanic with team or battle rage. Oh, and especially, you mentioned the lists a second ago. The 5-0 list came out of the Pioneer League, and there were quite a few red lists that had uh, the top end of their curve at Hazaret. So I think it is the preeminent, because there's no path to exile. No. Like, you don't you don't have that uh, in this format. So there's not an effective way to really get rid of Hazaret. So I think it's, it, you know, as Pioneer continues to exist, it'll just be better and better. Yeah. She'll just keep trucking along. Um, yep. Yeah, I, like I said, she's 380 when I checked, and because I, I haven't pulled up an MTG stocks for our viewers yet. Oh, not Hazard's favor. I don't think she's moved at all, which uh, makes her pretty nice. Oh, actually, yeah. she has. Oh. Yeah, she nice. spiked conveniently. Oh, there you go. Uh, my pick was great because Mero said that we would not get any Brawl product with Return to Theros. And then my pick was terrible. 12 hours, or not even 12 hours, but like six hours ago it was terrible. Yes, six hours ago, because they're like, here's a million Commander products. So my pick is Arcane Signet. I still think it's a fine pick short term. It yeah. is at its absolute floor and is easily outside of Soul Ring the best mana rock we've had in a while yeah. uh, for Commander. It's certainly the best colored mana rock because it beats all of the Talismans, it beats Felwar Stone, the uh, it beats Cornucopia, the Signets. Like, it just does everything you want yeah. at the cost. And at $10, I'm still able to pick this up for 6 7 Uh Low is, you know, somewhere around 9 10 Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's fine short term because it's another card that unless, you know, and I, I don't think it will be the case that we're going to start seeing this as the new Soul Ring where it's in every single commander product. I don't think that happens with this, but I think it's very, very good uh, for EDH yes. because it's another one of those things that is going to be in every single deck. Uh, you have 36 commander decks. Every single one of those 36 decks needs Arcane Signet or something like that. Yeah. And I think that that's what you're going to see. And that's, to me, uh, you know, what what makes it a good pick, even if it does see a reprint. Yeah. 
we, we, it was obviously way better prior to the reprint, but eh, it is what it is. Yeah, we talked about this before, Cast, because there's 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 two ways you can view this. You can view this as a card where you can buy in now, at uh, the nine and change it currently is, and sit on it and wait for people to just pick it up from you at cost or maybe a little more because this should be like yeah. Soul Ring where it'll dip and then come back. The problem is that right now it's just limited based on the brawl deck population, which it looks like we're not getting a second wave of immediately. Yeah. Thanks to everything else that's coming out. Uh, or, and, or you can try and pick these up at buyless prices or close to it and then sit on it for a longer term and see what actually happens in Q4 once these products get released and more of the decks come out. If Arcane yeah. Signet is in all of those decks, then the population is going to increase overall. But if nobody's going to buy these, knowing that you will get... Uh, there is an expected population increase coming in the future because they've announced all these commander products then population might just stay stagnant thus uh that's a stagnant demand so supply just either stagnates or increases as people just stop caring about them so you could pick these up cheaper just naturally over time yeah and it's kind of hard to figure out where people are going to fall on this because the the frenzy over brawl decks just kind of ended today well, yeah. like I said, people are realizing that we're really not going to get a second wave, so whatever's out there is out there, and if you don't have your copies, that's it. But how many people care about this card, we're not sure. Chromatic Lantern is in 18% of the decks submitted recently on EDHREX, and Arcane Signet is yep. in 2%. And those are wildly different cards, albeit slightly similar. Chromatic Lantern is better overall for 3, and larger CMC commanders allowing you to tap whatever you need to basically cast anything in your deck. Whereas Arcane Signet is just a super signet. Yeah. And it's good, but not great. So it sits in this space that we, that had to be created for it. And it's a card that you need to figure out if you believe in it now, then getting in sooner rather than later to flip is, uh, in a couple of weeks or a couple of months is going to be better than waiting for these to just stagnate and try and buy in when they're cheaper and then move later when this inevitably increases a la Soul Ring. Yeah. And I, I like the pick overall. I'm just... Yeah, I, I like it. I think it's good. It's definitely worse now. But I oh, do yeah. think that this is, you know, I similar to Soul Ring, it's never going to be below five bucks I can't for the imagine, rest of no. time. Yeah, I just don't see that happening. Uh, the only decks you might not want this in that you want Soul Ring in are monocolored. Uh, even there, it's still decent. I think the only question uh, yeah, is... Yeah, I, I still I think it's fine. Uh, I'm, I'm going to look this up quick because I'm nigh 100%. There is one type of commander deck you don't want this in. Uh, Colorless. That is it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's it. But besides that, it's fine. Yeah, uh, so. uh, agreed. It, it, it's just you have to figure out what you want to do with this card and where yeah. you see it going. Like I was saying, I like the pick. I'm the kind of person that would wait a little while and see what's going on with Arcane Signet, oh, but only because as today, compared to when we put these out in Discord, we now have that major announcement. I get to, to do this. Prior to that, if somebody said, this is a card you need to look into for the, the reasons listed, and we, this is our projection, and I moved on it, I wouldn't be unhappy. Yeah. I would just be not as happy as waiting a couple of weeks to see if these dry up and either picking them up at the same price or, or a lower price and then moving them yeah. further down the line. So, like I said, good pick, just 
as an individual, yeah, as an individual who wants a spec on it, pick what you want to do with this. But I, I do agree. Get in, yeah. get in, get in. Oh. Yep. But with that, that is going to be it for uh, this week, and we're going to try and suss out what we're going to do for next week with everything we've seen about Pioneer. Who knows? Maybe we'll even talk about the fact that uh, Star City switched their Invitational from Standard yeah. and Modern to Pioneer and Modern. Maybe that'll be your topic next week. Maybe we'll have a band list. Who knows? Oh, yeah, an emergency ban, which for some reason they just won't get off their asses on. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there. To, to bring things to a close, you can find us online. I am at Reptar. You are... At Thirsty Sizzler. We are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter. We are still running the Uma Box promo uh, uh, for our patrons. You know, when we reach 100, we'll be raffling that off. And over the next couple mm -hmm. of weeks, we'll actually be talking about our giveaway structure for uh, next year. We're trying to crunch the numbers and uh, get our adding machines for that. But we will let you know as soon as possible, though I think it might be collector's edition based. So we'll see. Yeah. We shall see. But Thanks, guys. Appreciate you tuning in. We'll see you next week. See ya.